uh, some of you are going to say, if you don't recognize the voice, that's Matt Chandler from the Village Church. And, uh, and you know, he just, he just has a way of articulating things that just cut through stuff, man, and just, yeah. So I, I love that. I love that. Um, today, we're going to talk about little giants that kill. Little giants that kill. Um, and I think one of those things that we, uh, we miss sometimes in our thinking is the things that are the everyday issues that rise up. It's, 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 it's sometimes easy to live for God on Sunday morning when the worship's on point and, uh, and, and the temperature's just right and everything's going uh, fine. But then the next day, when you find yourself in the midst of your daily day, in the midst of what you have to do, what you have to go through, uh, living for God sometimes is is a little bit more difficult. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about why that is. Uh, but I, I want you to understand that that uh, there are some things that war against your faith. And one of the things that happens in our lives is that we can easily slip into unbelief. And you can't really uh, you can't really tell that it's unbelief except that it's the result of the unbelief. In other words, if I were to say, um, "Okay, uh, looks like you have a cold," can I really see that bacteria or that virus? Can I actually see it with my eye? But I can see the symptoms, can I? I can, you know, you got a cough or you got a runny nose or whatever the case may be. I I can't actually see the virus but I can see the symptoms of the virus. And so in your life and mine, many times what happens is we, we start experiencing things and, and we start saying things. And, and when we start saying things, what we say is an indicator that there's a, there's a virus working on the inside of us. A couple months ago, and hopefully you didn't get any kind of uh, 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 nasty email from me that didn't originate from me, but uh, my, my email got infected. And so I, I began, while I was in Mexico, I began getting these emails from Facebook and from Amazon and from all of these other places where I use my email uh, that, uh, hey, you, you, you said you wanted a new password, so here you go. I'm like, what? I didn't do that. And uh, so, you know, I couldn't see what, what the enemy was, but I saw the results of it. And in your life and mine, uh, when, when we're functioning in faith, man, we can tell the difference, can't we? Likewise, unbelief sounds different as well. So there's a warning from Scripture. And, and so as we come together here, um, I don't know where you're at in your walk with God. You might just be investigating the things of God. You are welcome here. You can question things. You can ask around. You can you just just walk with us. We, we, we create an atmosphere where you are welcome uh, and you belong maybe even before you believe. Because you discover things over time. Maybe you walk out of here today and you say, I don't believe everything Pastor Ken said, but obviously they do, so I think I'm going to go back. Maybe you'll come in here today and you say, well, I, you know, they obviously believe uh, what, what they believe, and I'm not sure I believe it yet, but I'm, I'm open. I'm open to an understanding that maybe there is a God that exists. Maybe, maybe there is a God who cares, but just maybe. But before today, you didn't even have given him a maybe. Before today, you didn't even, you, you didn't, you said, no way, I don't believe in what I can't see. I, I want you to know you're welcome here. Or maybe you're somebody like me that's been saved for a long period of time. You've known Jesus by saying, by being saved, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. The person who believes, the Bible says, 
is that salvation comes to us as a result of that. But it's possible for us to be believers and yet have unbelief. And that's a giant that can kill you. So in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, See to it, brothers, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. That turns away from the living God. He's addressing brothers, and he's saying it's possible that even in the midst of your church attendance, unbelief exists on the inside of you. Why? Because it's it's deceptive. It's down deep. It's in the heart, and people can't see it. If they could see it, then we'd hide it so that they couldn't see it. But yet God sees it. Jesus sees it. And so when we look, it's, it's possible that maybe unbelief does exist, and we're going to talk about how to deal with that today. Are you ready to do that? You're hoping. That was all preamble. That was all just let's get started. Okay. Um, uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 14. And let's read this out loud uh, together. It should be on the screen. It's in your notes. It's in version. Uh, the event uh, section there, if you have version on your, on your phone, like I do. You ready? But the disciples forgot to pack a lunch. Except for a single loaf of bread, there wasn't a crumb in the boat. Jesus warned, be very careful. Keep a sharp eye out for the contaminating yeast of Pharisees and the followers of Herod. Meanwhile, the disciples were finding fault with each other because they had forgotten to bring bread. Jesus overheard and said, why are you fussing because you forgot bread? Don't you see the point of all this? Don't you get it at all? Remember the five loaves I broke for the 5,000? How many baskets of leftovers did you pick up? They said 12. And the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many bags of leftovers did you get? Seven, he said. Do you still not get it? Now the punchline is we don't get it either. Like, Okay, so, so let's unpack it. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. Disciples are fussing because they're worried about lunch. Lunch is the deal. I'm going to talk about food, and there's not a thing you can do about it. You're going to have to sit right here, and your stomach's going to growl, and you're going to be thinking about lunch. Why? Because I'm going to talk about food here for a minute, right? I'm going to talk about bread. The disciples were thinking about lunch, and so they got ready to get in the boat. They're on, the, they're on point. They're ready to go do what Jesus wants them to do, and James looks at John and says, Dude, did you bring some lunch? No, you were supposed to bring the bread. I, you know, and so they start passing around. There's 12 of them, so there's a lot of blame to pass around, right? Somebody there, whoever normally their glucose would get low, and they would start to get a head buzz. So then they said, well, I'm going to bring a loaf of bread for me. And so one of them thought about themselves, but none of them thought about the others. And so they get in there, and they're fussing over. You see how this works. They're all fussing over who brought the bread, who didn't bring the bread. And Jesus takes this opportunity, as Jesus often does, to, to drop a spiritual truth into the midst of their natural reality. Follow with me what he says. He begins to tell them, watch out against the yeast. Now, you know what yeast is, right? Yeast is that part that makes the bread airy, makes it light, makes it do stuff, you know, and, and, and makes, uh, makes the bread not hard. It makes it soft and allows it, you know, allows the bread to have a really good flavor. And, and so uh, they think he's talking to them about the fact that there was no lunch in the boat them. But Jesus has something, a whole other agenda that he wants to talk to them about. He wants to talk to them about. 
But have you ever been in one of those situations where you overheard just one side of the conversation and you thought, man, that person's kind of speaking harshly to the other person. And you don't know the whole context. You don't know everything that's going on. So, But you see Jesus here in Mark chapter 8 really getting on his disciples, really giving them a hard time. He's talking to them and he's saying, in, in another translation, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Do you notice that Jesus talks to different people in different ways at different times? It's not one size fits all, right? Um, how many of you say, well, it wouldn't be fair, you know? Uh, to, to the Pharisees, Jesus had a strong rebuke. To the money changers, he said, you're taking, the, you're taking my father's house and you're turning it into a den of thieves. And he turns over everything that they're doing and he shuts them down. And, and yet, Jesus would speak to somebody that was broken and he'd say, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. But today, chapter 8, Jesus levels his disciples. He lays into them. And I'm like, ooh, ow, ooh, what's that? Why is he saying it that way? But you got to know that Jesus knows who he's talking to. You got to know that Jesus has the same 12 who have been with him since the beginning. So I, I brought my Bible in here as an illustration today because a number of years ago, I had this thought, why? Oh, you thought I was going to preach from this, didn't you? No, no, you didn't. Why, why did Jesus reserve such harsh correction for his disciples? Why did he do that? That was the question that I had when I read that. And so I went all the way back to the beginning of Mark, and I began to trace the journey of the twelve. The journey of the twelve. And I followed the twelve all the way from the time that Jesus called them out when they were just fishermen on the shore, when they were the tax collector, when they were the, and, and he just called them out and they started this journey together. And I'm not going to go into all of this because it's too lengthy, but I want you to get a picture that, that uh, from the time that Jesus calls out his disciples, he is actively demonstrating heaven on earth. He is actively showing them the power of the kingdom on a daily basis. Every day they wake up, more miracles. Every day they wake up, more demons cast out. Every day they wake up, multiplication happens. Every day they wake up, there's something that's happening in their lives, and he is shifting their understanding from the here and now to the heavenly reality available in the here and now. So in Mark chapter 1, uh, verse 21, it says that the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, and then someone steps up, he has an evil spirit, and Jesus casts it out. Now, just a few verses later, that evening after sunset, people brought to Jesus, uh, brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many demons, but he would not let them speak because they knew who he was. So then he travels on. That was just two locations, but multiple people were affected. So the 12 are watching this person get healed, this person get delivered, this person get healed, this person get delivered. And so it's, it's two events, but it's multiple uh, miracles taking place. Then Jesus said, uh, let us go somewhere to where I can preach to the near, nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues. Would you say that was more than one synagogue? 
probably several synagogues. But as he's traveling, he's going through the synagogues and he's driving out demons. And then uh, in the, the, the fourth time, and this is just in, the, in 42 verses, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched the man with the uh, leprosy. And he said, I'm willing, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. So the, the man had leprosy and he was cured, but 12 men were watching it. And 12 men saw the demons cast out, and 12 men saw all of Galilee getting delivered. And 12 men, uh, as they were going with Jesus, they're watching, oh, what's going to happen in here? And after a while, it gets a little bit, um, it gets a little bit like, hey, this is just what happens. You know, they would, they would see somebody who was blind, and, and I would imagine this, but this is, this is kind of what happened. This is human nature. This is why I, I can fill in some blanks. After a while, they saw a blind person, and they would just say, it's just going to happen. Because it happened yesterday, and it happened the day before, and the day before that, and the day before that. Jesus is going to heal him. Watch, this is what happens. You know? and, uh, and so they began to do it. Do you know that I could trace you through the, the, the man with the withered hand, and I could take you through all, every element of this all the way back? By the time we get to Mark chapter 8, 19 different demonstrations of the power of God through Jesus that the 12 watched, witnessed, witnessed, were a part of 19 different times over a couple of year period. And now they're sitting in the boat. And now the conversation happens. What are we going to do? We don't have lunch. There's no bread. Oh, no. And suddenly the, the, the molehill becomes a mountain. Suddenly they're fussing. Suddenly they're blaming one another. Suddenly it looks like a church picnic where people are uptight about food. And Jesus, what does Jesus do? Ho, 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 ho. Don't you remember? When the 5,000 were fed, we know, uh, scholars will tell us, there's more than 5,000 there. there were, that was just the men. They just counted the men. How many, of, how many of you women actually count? You count too. What about all the kids? The kids counted too. There's probably 20,000 people there. And, and you know what? Uh, what was there to feed them that day? Do you remember? Five what? Loaves and how many? Right. So a little boy's lunch, and what does Jesus do? And Jesus, you know, breaks the bread, asks the blessing, breaks the bread, and the disciples, their, their whole job was to be food distributors. Okay, here's what I got to do. I take my little bit here and I take it over here and, and they're all sitting in groups of 50 and so everybody knows who's been fed and, and so they, they break the bread but when they break the bread there's more bread and they break the fish and there's more fish and they just go and I don't know how this is working. But in their hands, as they're passing it along, the multiplication takes place and they're passing it and, and then at the end Jesus says, go pick up the leftover. Leftovers? All we had was five loaves and two fish. Leftovers, 12 basketfuls. How many disciples? 12 disciples, 12 basketfuls. Everybody got their own doggy bag. Right? Here's what I want you to see. Jesus did the miracle. Of the five low, of the the feeding of the five thousand, the feeding of the four thousand, not so those tens of thousands of people could eat, but so that the twelve could have a testimony. Because this is what Jesus pulls out when it's time to teach them about faith, when it's time to remind them 
that they needed to get off what they could see with their eye and realize that what God had supernaturally was far beyond what they could see with their eyes. And it had control. It had power to do for them on a daily basis what was, what, what was impossible with man. So do the math with me. Twelve disciples, twelve baskets of leftover in one miracle. Second miracle, how many baskets of leftovers? Seven. How many days a week are there? For as long as you live, Jesus' supply is available to you seven days a week. You have a testimony of, of God's supply, God's provision, God's kingdom, everything you have need of found in the kingdom of God. Don't go looking anywhere else because as soon as you start looking somewhere else, the yeast of the Pharisees begins to find its way into your heart. The yeast of the Herodians begins to find its way into your heart. You've begun to look to the world for the thing that God says, I've already supplied it. Worse yet, it deteriorates your faith. You begin to look in the wrong place. You, be, you begin to look for a, a, for a replacement that from the thing that Jesus said, this is where life is. This is where hope is. This is where peace is. It flows from the throne of God. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread. I'm the bread. Why are you saying you don't have bread? So let's break down what this yeast of the Pharisees is, the yeast of the, of the Herodians. The yeast of the Pharisees is legalism. The yeast of the Pharisees has to do with whether or not I am more righteous than you. And the only way we can do that measuring stick is if we can take something of the word of God that I feel particularly confident in and I can out-argue you with my legalistic righteousness because I know more verses. I've been in this thing longer than you. I can, the, the measuring stick that we all know, you know, everybody, everybody knows Jesus is number one, but who gets to be the number two? Though that's the thing I'm after. That's the thing I'm after. And, and so, so then we begin to measure one another based on our own righteousness, right? And so this legalism, this righteousness in and of myself apart from God, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to say, I, you know, it's not enough just for all of us to believe, but I believe and I'm smarter than you, or I can argue better than you, or I have more verses on my side, or you need to believe like I believe, or otherwise you don't count in God's kingdom. And can I tell you that, that this kind of thinking tears churches apart? The yeast of the Pharisees, every so many years, and I'm not, I'm not picking uh, just to pick, but every so many years I have seen this come up and affect folks in this house. There will be, be a conversation about Calvinism and Arminianism. There will be a conversation about, uh, you know, once saved, always saved, the tulip doctrine. You know, there will be a conversation about that. And let me tell you, it, it happened 30 years ago. I'm in Bible college. That's a conversation, right? And, and so what happens is the, the fights break out, the sides, the lines are drawn, and then they begin to go at each other. Who's got the best argument? Who's written the best books? You know, all of those kind of things. We got, to, we got to nail this thing down. We got to nail down the sovereignty of God. It looks like this, this, and this, and this. If you could nail down the sovereignty of God, you'd be God. 
You can. And it's not about quarrels and it's not about fights. The, the, the yeast of the Pharisees has to do with these doctrinal arguments about who is more righteous, who knows more. And Jesus said it's a yeast and it'll contaminate pure faith. The, the, the yeast of the Herodians had to do with the political climate of his day because Herod was in charge. And whatever Herod said went. And so in our culture, we have these forces, don't we? We have what's the church doing? What's the, re what's the religious group doing? Um, who can do what in church and who can't do what in church and all of that kind of argument. And then you have the political climate over here. And the political climate is telling us that it's okay. Homosexuality is okay with God. It's okay with the government. So therefore, it's okay with God. Uh, smoking pot, okay. It's, you don't get arrested for it anymore in, in many parts of our country. You know, oh, it's actually good for you. Yeah, they said that back in the 60s too. It's the herb, man. God made the herb. And so the church right in the middle of it, right in the middle of it, oh, 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 you mean it's okay? It's not legal? I won't get arrested for it? Oh, it's okay. That must mean stamp of approval. You know, the word tells us that all, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. And, and that if you look to uh, the religious authorities to get your faith, you will be sorely mistaken. You'll be sorely disappointed. If you look to our government for how you ought to live, you're going to end up bankrupt. You're going to end up in a spot that you don't want to be on. And, and because the Herodians were all given over to immorality. And so you've got, a, you've got a culture that says live any way that you want to live. And Jesus said it's the yeast of the Herodians and it will take down your faith. It's, it's a giant, but it's a little giant because you can't see it. You can't see it with your eyes, but you can certainly start to smell it. You can certainly start to see its effects in the body of Christ, can't you? You can see when there's, when there's joy and there's peace and there's righteousness functioning. You can tell that by people's disposition. You can tell that by the atmosphere. You can tell that by the atmosphere. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm focused on the right things. We're going to keep the main thing the main thing, right? And, and we're going to continue to build our testimony. Here's the thing you and I need to get a hold of. The king and the kingdom supply our every need. The yeast of the Pharisees was legalistic righteousness. The yeast of Herod was licentious living. And those things will erode against your faith. How many of you here can take me to the moment when you said yes to Jesus in your life, you can take me to the moment. Maybe, maybe it was a, maybe it was an altar call. Maybe it was a conversation with a mom or a dad. Maybe it was, but you remember the moment. I remember the moment in my life. I remember those moments. That those, those are moments that you weren't there, but I was there, and that is Ken Kramer's testimony. That's, that's part of my lineage in my walk with God. And you don't get it, but I get it. It's my story. It's my testimony. And I love how God does this. He did that with the 12. And that's why when they weren't living according to the testimony that he knew they had, he could say, boys, where's your faith? You still don't get it. The everyday things are tripping you up. You are connected to the greatest thing this world has ever seen called the kingdom of God. And you haven't let the kingdom invade your 
your space. You haven't let the kingdom get into the COVID tent today. Or you wouldn't be asking me. Where's our bread? Where's our bread? You'd be looking for the adventure. You'd be saying, ha, look at this. We got one loaf of bread, but I know God wants to feed me today. So he's about to do something. He's about to do something. They, they wouldn't look at the lack. They would look at the provision of the kingdom and, and say, man, I know God's going to look after me. I got a father. He's going to make sure I eat today. Do your kids ever wake up in the morning and they walk in and say, oh, mom, oh, dad, what are we going to do? I'm hungry. They said, no, they walk in and say, what's for dinner? What's for breakfast? They, they, why? Because they're relying on you. They're expecting there's something in the pantry. Yeah, why? Because they've got somebody looking out for them. Don't we have somebody looking out for us? Don't we have somebody that's taking care of our needs before we even drew a first breath? He already had made this world so that we could live in it. Come on, go outside. Look at the sky. Your father did that. You, you woke up this morning with breath in your lungs. Your father did that. Your father looked after your needs. He took care of you so that you could have a testimony. And he expects not just for you to have that testimony, but to use that testimony to minister to other people. Didn't you love Dr. Westman's testimony last week about the three eggs? Dr. says the three egg story. Isn't that powerful? Think about that. You know, of all the things that God has done to get Dr. Westman around the world and to provide for her all these years, the one that she remembers and hangs on to is when she needed three eggs for her son's cake and she didn't have it. And the Lord knew it. And they went out to gather eggs from the chickens that morning instead of the two, which every day two, every day two, every day two, that day three. God didn't just want to make a cake. He wanted to give her a testimony. Who would have thought that you could take an egg testimony and live on it for the next 15, 20 years, right? Who would have thought? God can. God can. He can take one little testimony, one little story, and if you don't contaminate that story with arguing and fussing, and the yeast of the Pharisees, if you don't contaminate your story with the culture of this world that is coming to naught, God can use your faith to change the nations. He can use your faith to supply your needs and the needs of everybody around you. He can look after you, and as he looks after you, you will find you have an abundance. Twelve disciples... Not enough to feed one of them. Under the words of Jesus, feed 20,000, 12 basketfuls left over. What's your testimony? What's God doing in you that's so unique that when people hear it, they say, oh, man, you, that's, not, that's not just chapter and verse. You, you live that. You live that. You can't. You know what? People, uh, people say the Holy Spirit doesn't do miracles today. I say, you are 30 years too late. Because I was there. You weren't there. But I know he does miracles. I, 
I know he heals bodies. I, I know he lengthens legs. I've watched him open blind eyes. I've watched milky colored, nasty looking, you don't want to look him in the eye eyes. I've watched him clear up clear as a bell. I've seen that in the name of Jesus. I've watched Jesus do that. I've, I've seen situations where, where people were totally deaf and I'm standing there talking and then before you know it, they can, they can speak back to me what I'm saying. I've watched Jesus do that. You can't say he doesn't because it's part of my testimony now. It's part of my testimony. It's not just something I've read in a book. That's just something I've lived it. I've lived it. This is what God does. Don't tell me he doesn't. Now where's your testimony? What's your test? What's God done in you that's so unique and so powerful? And you kind of water, you let it get watered down because somebody began to argue you out of your testimony. Somebody said, oh, Holy Spirit doesn't move like that anymore. Oh, it would be, you know, one day, just hang on till Jesus comes. But instead, you look at that situation and something rises up on the inside of you. Somebody said, Does, is, is faith an attitude? No, but faith causes one. Faith causes an attitude because you got faith on the inside of you. You look at a situation, everybody else says, oh, it's hopeless. And they want and you say, good, leave the room now because we're, we're about to pray. We're about to pray, and Jesus is going to do something in this moment. Get, out, get all the unbelief out. No unbelief in this room. We're going to pray. We only want people of faith in this room. Right? So it's the difference. The difference is that if you let the yeast of the Pharisees come in, if you let the yeast of, of Herodias come in or the, or the un immorality of our world, you won't have any faith because you've trusted in the way they said to do it over here or in the way they said to do it over here. And Jesus says you can't let contaminants of that near your faith because what it'll do is it'll zap it. It'll, it'll cause you to get into the place where you're, if you're, if you're given over to immorality, every time you get ready to pray for something, all of a sudden the devil comes up with something in your ear and you say, you know you've been watching stuff you shouldn't watch. And instead of focused on, on what Jesus wants to do right then, you're worried about your past. You're focused on something else. And, you know, all of a sudden there's this question, does God still answer prayer? Because you read it somewhere in some book that somebody read that wasn't worth the pages that it was written on. Because it locked up faith from the body of Christ and told them God doesn't move like he used to move. That's bearing false witness against God. Somebody's going to answer for that someday. They're going to get up there and say, I told everybody for 30 years that God doesn't do miracles. Do you want to be standing there between the, I'm sorry. I don't want to be in the room. Don't, don't be the person that say God doesn't. Be the person that says God does. He may not for that person over there. But Psalm 91 tells me a thousand may fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand. But it will not come near to me. Why could I say that? Sounds kind of cocky, Pastor. Oh, you're sounding kind of pride, prideful. That's my testimony. Because I know I've been with God, and, and he has provided for me all of these years. All of these years. Why? Because i got a basket full left over. If you will focus your attention on what God wants to do with your testimony, and you will be sure that you don't get carried away with arguments about doctrine, or sucked into this world's way of thinking, you will discover that when you are finished at the end of your life, you will have more, 
way more than what you started with. I don't know how God does this. I don't know. But can I tell you? Can I tell you that back in 20, uh, 2010, when I finished with my master's, the board at Lighthouse uh, agreed to uh, give me a raise, and they gave me a wonderful raise. And uh, I said, this is the last raise that I'm going to get from Lighthouse. I don't want any more money. They froze my salary. Now, they've, they've taken care of my insurance up and down whenever, whenever it's un, usually up, not down. <laughs> but uh, they've taken care of the, the, the insurance portion for me. They've covered that. But my salary has not increased since 2010. I don't know how this works, but I gave more last year. I gave more last year than I gave in 2010. I gave more last year. I went on more missions trips. I've done more for uh, with my finances for God than I've ever been able to do. How does that happen? It's the basketfuls left over. It's the, it's the testimony. It's purposing in your heart to say, Lord, this body is not my body. I don't have a right to it. I don't have a right to process things through these eyes. These are your eyes, God. I, I'm, I'm, I'm living my testimony before the Lord, right? I'm living for God. I'm not going to give in to immorality. I'm not going to get caught up in all the, all the arguments of our world about religious things. I just want to live for God. You can go write your book about what God is not doing. I'll go, do, I'll go win another soul. You're, you're going to go say God's not going to do something. I'm going to go find somebody I can pray for and watch Jesus heal them. I'm going to do what he's called me to do. Why? Because he's put a testimony in my soul. Amen? So let's stand. Let's get rid of some yeast today. Let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of it right now. Right now, all over this place, just bow your heads all over this place. This is what Paul says in 1 Timothy 3. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Church, can I tell you there are a lot of truths in the Bible, but there's only one truth. His name's Jesus. Don't get carried away with a bunch of truths. They're there. Yes, they're there, but they're not bigger than Jesus. Jesus is the one. He's the central focus of all of Scripture. Most churches get into trouble when they, when they pull more Old Testament in and, and don't listen to the New Testament. They don't process. They don't process. Everything in the Old Testament has to pass through the cross. And oftentimes things that happen in the Old Testament, when they're passed through the cross, they change. And, and some preachers get a word from the book of Exodus. I'm just spitting it out there. But uh, some, they get a word out of Exodus, and they want to make it apply today, but it doesn't apply the same way. And they haven't rightly divided the word of truth. And this is what was happening in Paul's day. He said, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. By faith. How do you know faith is operating? This morning, when Pastor Daniel was ministering at communion, my faith was being built up. He was talking about faith. He was talking about growing faith. He was talking about what faith does. And I could feel my spirit saying, give me more. Give me more. Give me more. We want to grow people of faith. Not just smarter sinners. Not just more refined sinners. People who have faith in Jesus Christ. 
Because it's only faith in Jesus Christ that causes that, that resurrection power to happen, right? The goal of this command, this is what Paul says, the goal of this command is love which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. A pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. I want to ask you this morning to bring your heart to the Lord. And with that, you may want to bring your body to the altar. But bring your heart to the Lord this morning and ask Him to purify you. I know some of us, we get all riled up in the controversies. We have an answer for this argument, for that argument, the other argument. And what we don't realize is we just got ourselves twisted and the yeast of the Pharisees has found its way into our life. And it's pointless because you can't win that argument. And what you actually do is defeat faith. You actually empty faith of its power by getting into all those arguments and disagreements. And our world is ripe for that. Social media is ripe for that. Nobody ever gets convinced of anything on social media. Right? Lord, forgive us this morning. getting wrapped up in arguments, getting wrapped up in quarrels about ideas. Lord, in those moments, it's easy for us to get drained of our faith. It's easy for us to get drained of our hope, drained of our love. We, we lose our way. We don't realize that righteousness, peace, and joy is the kingdom's availability. The kingdom is right here for us now. You said, don't go looking for it to the right or to the left. Don't go, don't, people are going to say, it's over here, it's over here. And Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is in, inside you. It's within you. You don't have to go looking for it. Lord, deliver us from the yeast of the Pharisees today. Make us aware when we begin, begin to get carried away in some argument, some quarrel, how detrimental it is that the little believers are standing by trying to figure out what life is about, what faith is about. And when they see us arguing, they're totally turned off. And Father, on the other side, I just pray this morning, Lord God, that you would drench us with the life of Jesus. Because our world, Lord God, is a septic system. Our world pulls us into immorality with every signal, with every message, every moment of our day. God, forgive us. Forgive America, Lord, for being the number one exporter of pornography in the world. Forgive us, oh God. It's a reproach against you, God. But Lord, more than that, we pray that you would purify us today. Come on, church. Come on, church. Those, songs, those things don't have a hold at all unless they have a hold in your heart. Put up that shield of faith today. Put up that shield of faith. The immorality, the permissiveness of our world. Holy Spirit, come and cleanse us today. Wash us. Take out that yeast. Take out those contaminants. Take out those things that would distract us, Lord. Oh, in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit's here to 
bring about some deliverance. Would you just, if that's you, just step out. You feel like, I got faith for this today, Pastor. Can I walk in with faith for it? But I just believe God's going to set me free today. And whatever it is, I don't know what it is. I'm not going to identify it, but the Holy Spirit's identified something that you need to be free of. Would you just step out? And I'm going to agree with you in prayer. Step out from where you're at. Come on. Step out from where you're at. Whatever you need Jesus to, to deliver you from, step out. Jesus is the deliverer. Look to him. Look to him. You walked in. You didn't have faith for it, but now you have faith for it. Come on. Let that thing live. Let it breathe. Let that faith rise up strong on the inside of you right now. Come on. Step out. Step out from where you're at. Can I have prayer people come around? These that are down front. Let's believe God with them. Let's, let's wrap our faith together with their faith. Get some agreement. Yes, God wants to set you free from alcohol. Yes, God wants to set you free from immorality. He wants to set you free from porn today. He wants to set you free from a bad attitude. Hallelujah. I got to be free. I need to walk in joy. I need to walk in love. I want to walk in peace, and I'm not walking in those. Lord, I pray today, right now, in Jesus' name, that you would cleanse me, that you would wash me, that you would restore me. Come on, some of you, that's that's a word of restoration for you today. Jesus wants to restore the joy of your salvation today. Right now, he's doing that right now, right now, in the name of Jesus. All over this place, all over this place. Now, can I say, if you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, can I tell you that it's a daily walk? It's not a one-time decision, but it starts with a one-time decision. Just like my marriage started with, a, with a, a decision, a conversation at the altar with my wife, where I said, I will, and she said, I will. And together, day by day, we walk that out. We walk out that relationship. We never choose not to be married. We choose to manage our relationship. We choose to manage our, our lifestyle together. And if you want to make Jesus Lord, if you want to step into that covenant with God, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And in that moment, God drops faith in your heart to believe him for that. In that moment, it's a work of God. You couldn't work it up. But when you say, I believe that Jesus is Lord, I believe that he's Lord of my life, I want to give my life to him. It's a real covenant. It's a real relationship. And you can have that today. If you've never said yes to Jesus, right now, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I say this by faith. I trust in your word. I trust in the fact that the cross took all of my sin and all of my shame. I turn from my past and I turn to you. And I receive you today. Thank you that God raised you from the dead. Thank you that resurrection life is available to me today. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus right now. Come on, church. Pray through right now. Pray through. Just bring yourself before the Lord. All over this place, just bring yourself before the Lord right now. Come on. You need a breakthrough. You need a breakthrough today. Come on, press in. Get that breakthrough from the Lord this morning. Oh, Jesus, we need you right now, oh God. We need you right now, oh God. Hallelujah. I know breakthrough is coming. By faith, I see a miracle. My God.
declare that this morning.
Faith shouts. Faith shouts. Faith shouts. It's not cocky. It's not proud to say Jesus is alive and he's Lord. It's not cocky. It's not proud to say that God is going to do a miracle in this situation. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know how. I don't I don't see it in my eye, with my eyes, but I believe. I believe. I believe. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody shout today. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We believe today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray over each and every person in this house, Lord, that this week would be marked with joy in their journey. That every place that they put their foot, they would have the confidence that you go with them and that it's your desire for them to carry the kingdom with them wherever they go. And that, Lord, when an opportunity comes up that looks like lack, we didn't pack our lunch. That in that moment, we would be reminded of our testimony, of all the good things you've done for us. And we would not shrink back. And we wouldn't give in to arguments. And we wouldn't start to blame. But we begin to thank you for the testimony that you have given to us. That Jesus is alive and he's Lord on the inside of me. And I have plenty of bread. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. God bless you, church. God bless you. If you're a guest with us, please stop by Inside Lighthouse.